Good, good morning, everybody. Hey, uh, I think we had over 10 people baptized today, so that's uh, awesome. You got you to give them a high five since they did it on the other side of the wall there. We've got to let them hear our cheers some more. Um, uh, I'm Jason. If I haven't met you, I'm the college pastor here at the church, and uh, I'm super honored to get to preach today. Uh, pastor Robert and his family are down in Mexico today, so um, God bless them down there as they get some good rest. And uh, hey, um, those of you who who uh, teach or preach sometimes, um, you know, you have certain messages that you kind of preach through the Bible, and it's always great to preach out of the Bible. The Bible's powerful on its own, right? It's just always good. Uh, but sometimes God does give you something that's maybe a little more substantial and deep, and uh, this is certainly one of one of the things God's been um, teaching me lately, and I think it's really a word for our culture right now, for our generation right now, and, um, you know, I'm excited to dive into it. So this is called We Will Not Bow, and uh, we're going to look down, uh, look at Daniel chapter 3, uh, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a minute. Um, as we jump in, uh, there's, I want to start with this, in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Amen. So first and foremost, Jesus comes with life for us. Uh, but he says, there's an enemy that's active. Uh, there's an enemy that is trying to steal from you, trying to kill and destroy you. Uh, and the enemy does that. He comes to steal uh, every one of our innocence, God's dreams in our lives, God's plans for us, our, our God-given identity, uh, our God-given purpose, our womanhood, our manhood, uh, sanctity, hope, tries to steal childlike faith out of us. Uh, the enemy's active and, and uh, uh, trying to steal from us today. Uh, and there's a really great uh, story and example that we can learn from in the book of Daniel, chapters, chapter 3. We're going to go there. Uh, let me read that. Daniel, Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar, and by how many of you know how to spell Nebuchadnezzar without looking at it, by the way? <laughs> Type in the sermon. I started writing King Nebi uh, just to make it easy. So sorry if I say King Nebi. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high, 60 cubits wide, six cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So King Nebuchadnezzar is the king over Babylon. Uh, Babylon, if I were to just try to paint a picture of uh, Satan's dream for a city, uh, this might paint a pretty good picture. If you dig into what was happening in Babylon at the time, uh, here's some of the facts for you. Uh, Babylon had 53 temples. It also had 180 altars erected to the goddess Ishtar. There was a golden image of Baal that weighed 500,000 pounds made of pure gold. There was a golden table made of pure gold, 500,000 pounds as well. Uh, there was two golden lions that were 18 feet tall to be worshipped. There was a solid gold human statue 18 feet tall to be worshipped. It was a polytheistic culture. They worshipped hundreds of gods, false gods. Uh, astronomy started around this time. Uh, Babylon actually birthed astrology uh, and horoscopes, and all of those things came out of this culture as well. 
So uh, what's interesting is the word Babylon literally translates from Babel, which means confused. <laughs> so if there's a word to describe Babylon, it was a confused culture, which is when Satan comes to try to steal, kill, and destroy, it creates, he creates confusion in a culture. And there's a God over there and a God over there. And there's truth, truth, truth. That's the truth. I'm the truth. Oh, no, everything's the truth. And there, it's just confusing. You know that's confusing when there's hundreds of gods and hundreds of temples. And, and this is the culture we find ourselves in today, which is a culture that's confused. How many of you agree? Confused. Uh, I was with my daughter last night, who's a teenager, uh, and we were out at a, one of the activities she's involved with. Uh, without going into detail, uh, you moms and dads will relate to me right now. Uh, as I was watching uh, her participate in this thing, there was some stuff going on around her where I just had one of those moments where I'm like, I just want to go grab my daughter and go to Yosemite <laughs> and, like, take her out of this culture. I, I just don't want her to deal with this culture that we're in. I'm tired of getting in the car. I'm just having a real moment with you. I'm tired of getting in the car and saying, Honey, I'm so sorry that you have to deal with that, but let me train you in how to deal with that because that was tough. I'm sorry that my generation has built that for you. Like, we have built a culture around you that is tough and confusing and brutal. Uh, and, you know, I was just having one of those moments. How many of you ever feel like, man, it would be nice to just, <laughs> like, go hide? Uh, but we're not called to go hide, so that is not the message today. Uh, we are actually called to sh be strengthened and to be resolved, to stay in the culture but not be of the culture, to stay in the culture but not bow down to what the rest of the culture is bowing down to. And so we're going to get trained in that today. So, okay, what did Nebuchadnezzar build? Let's look at this. I was trying to find an image of it. This is the best cartoon I could find. Uh, this statue, this idol was 90 feet tall. So if you look at this ceiling, it's about 22, 23 feet. So three to four times taller than this ceiling, this idol was built. Nine feet wide. This, this was a beast. Um, side note for you life group leaders out there, if you ever want to use this as an illustration at life group, just go buy one of these uh, inflatable uh, <laughs> statues. Uh, okay, go back to the other one. I couldn't fit it. You know, if I was a, if I was a real preacher, I would have had the. <laughs> I don't think it's life size anyway. But so this idol uh, that Nebi was building in my notes, this idol that King Nebuchadnezzar was building really represents uh, what the God of this age, uh, the devil, is doing in in our world and in our culture. This was an idol of self-worship. This was an idol of self-glorification, self-gratification, self-pride, self-dependence, self-sufficiency, self-fulfillment. You know, self it was about self. It was about looking inward as the God. Uh, and this is what's happening in our culture today. We are looking more inward 
We're turning into ourselves looking for answers. We're taking, turning into ourselves looking for truth. We are propping up self-pride and self-thoughts and over the things of God. Where, where God comes and says in Isaiah, hey, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My thoughts are above and higher than your thoughts. My ways are above and higher than your ways. Uh, we are looking inward. Uh, I love this quote I saw a few months ago, and it's kind of, have you ever been haunted by a quote, like in a good, a good haunting? Uh, it just kind of stuck in my head because I think it describes what's happening in our generation so well. Uh, Francis Chan said this. Uh, he said, one of the most destructive practices of your generation is that you value your own thoughts way too much. While God says, my thoughts aren't the same as yours, but you want to look inside and tell everyone else what you've been thinking and what you've been feeling, rather than opening up the word of God and saying, these truths are way beyond mine. And it's just one example, but this is our culture right now which is I'm not looking to God for answers. I'm not looking to the source of truth for answers. I'm going to look inside of myself for an answer and roll with that. And your truth, my truth, that truth, you do, you, you know, we're confused. Uh, we're living in an anti-God, self-pride culture. And the reason this is so dangerous, the reason I'm ringing a, the red alarm is that this is the exact opposite of Jesus' call to us. It is literally the exact opposite. Where the culture says, take pride in self, look inside yourself for the answers, embrace you and you, you know, self-gratification, self-glorification. Jesus says, deny yourself. Come and follow me. Do you see how it's exactly the opposite? So, so this idol that the God of this age is propping up in front of us today, right now, in our Babylon, is self-gratification. Jesus comes and says, Matthew 16, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. And Paul says it another way in Galatians 2. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Like, that's the call. Christian, that is the call. I don't live anymore. Self is not my God. I serve the one true. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. Christ lives through me. His identity is mine. It's a God-given identity. It comes from him, not from myself. So, some of you today need to give your heart to Jesus. Some of you have been far from God. Some of you have never given your heart to Jesus. And today, God's calling you and saying, give me your heart. But he's not saying, I'm going to be the God that just fulfills it. He's saying, come and, come and die to yourself. Let me take a hold of your life. Live for me. So while Nebuchadnezzar is propping up this big idol of self-worship, Jesus comes and gives us this, which is the cross. And says, this is, this is where you should come. Not to the idol of self-glorification, but to the cross uh, where, where he gave his life for our sins. All right, verse 2. Nebuchadnezzar then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials 
to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So this is just a fascinating thought to me. The Nebuchadnezzar, his first strategy was to get all the people of influence to come and join in the idol worship. And I think this is what Satan does today, doesn't he? He primarily targets, first and foremost, people of influence, power. I was looking at the seven, you've seen the seven mountains of society, seven mountains of culture. If you think about the business realm in culture, media, arts, education, government, family, religion, you can see this is the, the, the strategy of Satan is to go for those places of power and influence first uh, to try to influence all of and permeate culture. Uh, and that's what Nebuchadnezzar did. Satan even went to the one with the most power, which is Jesus Christ himself, and tried to get him to bow down. So that's Satan's strategy. What's fascinating is that Jesus' strategy is kind of the opposite, if you read the Bible, which is he goes to seek and save the lost, the powerless, the broken. You know, he said, the Spirit of God's on me to preach good news to the poor. Those who are captives are going to be set free. If you're blind and bring in sight. Uh, you know, Jesus started at the bottom of these mountains to build his teams and to influence culture. Jesus is faithful to every person. Don't get me wrong. He reveals himself to every president, to every world leader. But, but he, first and foremost, comes for the broken and, and the lowly. All right, verse 3. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. All right, let me ask you something. Have you ever been invited to something that you shouldn't go to? <laughs> Just a thought. As a, as a Christian myself and... As Christian brothers, just a little side note of wisdom. There are certain things we probably shouldn't go partake in. And if you ever get invited to an idol worship party, probably not the event you need to go attend. But in seriousness, uh, we all have areas of vulnerability uh, in our lives. And there's just certain environments that are obvious we probably shouldn't go hang out in that environment. And I want to call us to being a little smarter about not putting ourselves in situations where we're obviously going to sin. We can protect ourselves so well. You know, I work with a lot of college guys, discipling them, training them up. And it's, it's a, it, that's one of the main topics is like, hey, probably, you know, if you're dealing with lust, probably don't go to the dorm room with her at 2 a.m. You know, uh, there, there's, we laugh, but there's obvious situations. We just place ourselves in tough spots. I'm sure there were some righteous leaders amongst these leaders of Babylon, some people that wanted to be godly, uh, but they went to this idol thing, this worship, idol worship party, and the thing that stood out to me, the scripture says they stood before it. And if you could just imagine this scene, right? A 90-foot idol and thousands of people all around this thing, and they're just gathered around, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar is charismatic and, uh, you know, a king and, and person of authority, and just kind of wooing them in, intoxicating, seducing them in to worship this idol. And so, you know, what happens is these guys give into it, and they start joining in the worship of this idol. And this is what happens. Second Corinthians chapter 4 says, 
The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. So these guys, when they start engaging with idol worship, they become blind to the gospel. They become blind to the things of God. And they were just getting all wrapped up in it. So let's continue in verse 4, Daniel 3. It says, Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And this is the call to our generations right now. I want to I just, can we have a real conversation for a second? It's loud. This, and this isn't just a suggestion from our culture. Like, hey, if you want to, you could like bow down and worship this thing. No, it's, it's a command. It's a you must bow down and worship, and it's got an edge on it. It actually has a threat on it, which is what happens next in verse 6. He says, whoever does not file, fall down and worship will be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace. So this is a loud command coming from our culture. You need to bow down and worship this. If you don't, your reputation will, will be demolished. You will be misunderstood. You will be labeled. You know, you pr probably, you're getting the second best if you do that anyway. You won't be as happy as you could be. Uh, you'll be ridiculed. You'll be wasting your life. You'll, you'll be destitute. You know, real threats, prison. Real threats. You know, this culture, can anyone agree that this culture is hostile to Christianity? Yeah. Right? We live in a hostile time to the Christian worldview, to absolute truth, to the Bible to Christian marriage, to biblical family, to biblical identity, to biblical sexuality. I mean, it's a hostile culture, and there's a real assault coming against these things. There's an assault against purity. There's an assault against virginity and abstinence. There's an assault against uh, God-given gender. There's an assault against God-given family roles. I mean, everything's being assaulted. Verse 7. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So everyone joins in. Every, all the nations, all the different languages, all the different people. And this is what's happening around us in our culture today. If we, can we talk about our culture right now? The old, the young. I'm like, oh, my teacher. Oh, professors. Oh, the coaches. Oh, the principal. Oh, the people in authority. Oh, the governor. Oh, my mom. Oh, my, not my mom, but. <laughs> love you, mom. But we see it, our, our brothers, our sisters, our, our family, you know, everyone's bowing down. Not only, not only responding to the call to bow down, but applauding each other loudly as they celebrate evil things and ungodly worldviews, applauding loudly. Uh, Second Timothy talks about this time. It says, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. It's just, 
describes what's happening around us in our culture today. All right, back to the story in Daniel. At this time, some astrologers came forward. I don't need to read, read all this, but basically, some astrologers came to King Nebuchadnezzar and said, hey, king, there's three guys that didn't bow down, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these three guys decided to not bow down, to not serve or worship the image of gold that Nebuchadnezzar set up. And so evil people start accusing righteous people of being evil. Everything's flipping, which the Bible talks about. In those days, the evil would be called, be called good, and good will be called evil. Everything's getting flipped. But isn't it interesting that these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it was kind of a private moment of, of standing up and not bowing down. Like, it wasn't like they were on a stage in front of the whole community. But somebody saw it. And uh, I wanted to tell you that as you stand for Jesus, people will see you do that. Uh, it was really interesting for me in college, about a year after I was a Christian, I um, was involved with the church up in San Luis Obispo. I uh, went to school at Cal Poly. I was in a, I was in a class, an uh, advertising class. It's a few hundred people in this classroom, big stadium seating. And I didn't know anybody in the class. Um, but, it, you know, I was starting to talk to people about Jesus and, and trying, to, trying to invite people out to church and things like that. Anyway, I'm sitting there by myself in this class, really trying to be a righteous young man and live purely. And then today's topic is sex in advertising. And just, you know, big, big 10 times bigger than this screen, just big images of all this stuff. And so I'm like, oh, man. And so I just go like this, you know, and I'm like not looking at it. And I just felt like an idiot uh, completely. But because uh, it, it was like 25 minutes, you know, just not looking. Anyway, went about my day, didn't, didn't think about it after that. Um, it was a couple years later, I was at church, and this girl came up to me, and she said, hey, uh, Jason, I don't know if you remember me, uh, do you know why I came to church? And uh, I was like, no, I, you know, tell me. And, and she said, I... I was in your class, and I was sitting right behind you in the advertising class, and uh, she said, I watched you <laughs> to see, because you had been telling me you were a Christian, and I wanted to see if you, if you were the real thing, uh, and she watched as I put my head down. She, she was like, that She had previously just had so much experience with rough stuff. I don't know everything that happened. But that uh, impacted her enough to just say, I'm going to give Jesus another chance. Which is crazy, right? That's awesome. I just want you to know, when you take a stand for Jesus, you might not always hear about it or know what's going on. But you will be seen by others. Uh, it will encourage others to take a stand for Jesus. Uh, and you are certainly not alone. And one of the main things I want you to hear today I know you feel alone a lot on your campus or in this city. It's easy to feel alone in California, standing for Jesus. You're not alone. Not only is Jesus with you, but we are together in this. Uh, that's why life group's so important. I love that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood together. Like it could have just been Shadrach. <laughs> but we hear about these three guys that stood up together 
Who knows if one of them would have been too weak to stand by himself. But they stood up together. All right, verse 13. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. Can I say that when you stand for Jesus, you will make the enemy furious? But you will also bring joy to Jesus. Joy to your one true commanding officer. Uh, we've been looking at this a lot in our college group. 2 Timothy 2.4, it says about us, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego just had this perspective like, we don't answer to Nebuchadnezzar, we answer to our commanding officer and to him alone. And uh, you know what's awesome? When you, when you say yes to Jesus and don't bow down to this junk, you will experience some of the greatest joy and pleasure of your life when you do it. I will always remember soon after I came to Christ, my freshman year of college, I was watching a movie, uh, and a little ways into the movie, there was some stuff that I probably shouldn't have been watching in the movie. I know it never happens to us. <laughs> I turned off the movie. <laughs> Thank you very much. It sounds silly. That, I'm talking about that moment 20 years later because I will always remember, I was sitting by myself on the couch, I turn off the movie, and the joy of God that I felt of just, and the closeness I felt to God, just not bowing down to that junk and saying, God, my eyes are on you. You're, you know, I'm bowing down to you and to you alone. One of the, you know, it was like a, uh, uh, what do you call it? Just a monument of a moment in my life that I can remember. I want to encourage you, saying yes to Jesus brings more joy and pleasure than you'll ever experience in the sin of this world. Verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar said to these guys, I'll just, without reading it, he gave him another chance. He said, okay, guys, listen. I heard what you did, but we're going we're gonna to play the music again. <laughs> and hey, if you're, now you know, I'm serious. You know, you're standing in front of the king, in front of everybody now. So we're going to give you another chance. If you bow down, we're all good. But if not, you're going in the furnace. And uh, wouldn't it be nice if we just had to make the decision one time to not bow down? I would have loved if when I turned off the movie, that was the last time I had to decide to serve Jesus. Uh, but it's not. We know that this is, this is a lifestyle. This is an everyday uh, decision. We'll be propped up sometimes publicly and have to make a decision. More often, we'll be in private situations where we have to make a decision. Uh, but this is our chance to be deeply rooted and to have resolve and to say, I serve the one true God. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. Which is so bold and awesome. I remember, I always remember an interview I saw with Billy Graham. Billy Graham was an evangelist, if you don't know him, who was invited in to six decades of presidents, invited him in for advice and prayer, guidance. I saw somebody ask him, uh, do you get nervous when you're meeting with a world leader? And uh, without, like, 
Steffi said, I stand in the presence of the King of Kings every day. I don't get nervous around a person. <laughs> That's perspective, yeah? So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we don't answer to you. Verse 17, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will. Uh, so this is interesting. Sometimes we're put in situations where we actually have a promise from God, and those are awesome because we're like, God will deliver me. He promised. He told me he would. Like, I remember we were in serious debt at one point, but God had promised he's going to take us out of debt. So I got to stand on that promise, even when stuff just looked bleak, and I'm like, oh, I'm not going to tithe now. I don't have money. I was like, I am going to tithe. <laughs> like, you know, I'm going to do it. God's promised to bring me out. Those are awesome when God promises to rescue us. But even deeper, we can really learn from what happens in verse 18, because these guys say to Nebuchadnezzar, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. And this is the hard truth we live in, guys. God doesn't promise to rescue us out of persecution. He doesn't promise that every time we're in one of these situations that we're going to get pulled out and unscathed. And these guys were at that point to say, even if God doesn't rescue me, we will not bow down. And my dream for me, for my family, for you, for our church, for our, our generation right now, is that we would resolve ourselves to say, even if God doesn't rescue me from this, even if my reputation is destroyed, even if I get labeled the way I don't want to, even if I don't get promoted like I want to, even if I lose this job opportunity, even if I go to prison, even if, even if, even if I will not bow down. Can we be that people? And I'm not, I'm not trying to like rally us to make some big promise to God, I'll never sin again. I'm not trying to go there. I'm trying to just go to that place to say, can we just be real and acknowledge we are in a culture that is getting more and more difficult to live in as a Christian? Persecution is increasing. As I look at my daughter, I, I know and can see this is going to be more and more difficult for her to stand as a Christian, to stand for Jesus. I think if we acknowledge that, we can set ourselves up to stand firm in these moments. Verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. His attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. Long story short here, the guards come and grab the three guys. They get close to the furnace. The guard dies because the furnace is too hot. Throws them in to the furnace. This is what I call a panic moment. <laughs> I don't know if you've had any of these when you're following Jesus where you're like all gung-ho and bold, and then suddenly you're like, oh, I'm actually in this. <laughs> like, this is happening right now. I've had a few. I remember one in the middle of Zambia. I was in the middle of the bush in the middle of nowhere, and I thought I was going to die. I don't have time to tell the story. But I'm like, Jesus, I came here to just serve you, and now I'm going to die in the middle of Zambia in the bush, and my family won't even know what happened to me. I'm just panic moment. I remember God, you know, responding to God calling us to move here to this specific place. And I was down signing a lease for my family to live in. 
And as soon as I signed, how many of you have had the panic moment? I signed this lease and I laid on the floor and it just hit me like what I just did. I was like, what am I, what am I doing? <laughs> like, God, I have nothing down here. I have nothing. I don't know anybody. I don't have a job. I don't have, there's no clear path. Like, my wife hasn't seen this place. Like, we couldn't afford to get our, anyway, long story too. When you follow Jesus, you will find yourself in panic moments, like where you don't see a rescue coming. You don't see a way out. You don't know what's happening. Verse 24, King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Let me just say, our promise is that Jesus is with us. Whether we get rescued out or not, Jesus is with us, period. I don't care if you feel it. I don't know if you know it. Jesus is with his children. He's with us. I am blessed. Hate to tell you, I'm just blessed. Like, God's with me. And if God doesn't rescue me now, I'm going to be in heaven forever. For eternity. And to encourage us, guys, we don't need to remove ourselves from the culture. We just need to know we can stand firm. Jesus is with me, and that's enough. That's, that's what I need. That's, that's the reward in itself. But Jesus is with you. Jesus is with your family. As much as I wanted to go grab my daughter out of that situation last night, I'm like, and trust me, I'm going to defend my daughter. But I just felt I don't need to defend my daughter right now. God, God is with my daughter. My daughter is blessed. God protects my daughter. God loves my daughter. And uh, she's, you know, she's in this culture as much as... Anyway, we got we to gotta be trained up, y'all. We've got we've to embed ourselves. We've got to get rid of plan B and say, I will not bow down no matter what, even if, even if. And let's just bow down to the one true God. Lastly, verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out. Come here. So they came out of the fire, and all the leaders crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was the hair on their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. That is a different way to live right there. Uh, We get to live different lives. Be different than culture. Be different. You are different. Church, if if I'm not causing some awkward situations because I'm a little different, I'm probably not really serving Jesus too well. Like, let's be different. Let's, Let's be confident in the fact that we are different than the culture around us. Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Let, it, let that be us. That is awesome. Yeah. I would love to stand in front of Jesus one day and him to just be like, Well done. Yeah. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You stood through uh, the trials. I want to invite the band up um, as, uh, as we respond. Could you stand up with me? And 
As a response today, I'd love you to just close your eyes as I, I would love to just pray over us for a moment. First, God, we just thank you that we are not alone. And uh, I love it if you want to put your hands out in front of you to just uh, receive from God. Just say thank with your own voice. You can say, thank you, Jesus, that you're with me. I am never alone. I am never alone. God, thank you that we stand together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And thank you that we can stand firm and confident together in this culture today. God, I pray that we would make it for the long haul and that we would persevere to the end. Uh, God, give me a spirit of perseverance, of courage, of strength. God, I pray for courage in this room. I pray for strength in our hearts, God, that we would be steadfast, that we would not compromise. And God, we just cry out for strength. We cry out for courage. And God, we put our feet on the one true foundation on Jesus today. Some of you, first time, maybe you need to give your heart to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm going to stand on you today. I give you my heart. If you call on the name of Jesus, he will not turn you away. And some of us need to just reset our feet on him. Lord, we set our feet on you today. And God, would you make us a people that would not bow down to any other gods? Uh, I want to invite up the prayer team, any of our leaders and, and staff, life group leaders, if you can come up here. Uh, we would love to pray for you before you leave. If, uh, if you're giving your heart to Jesus today, we'd love to pray with you. If there's an area of your life that you just want to, we would love to pray with you. If you want to be more resolved in that area of your life, to stand firm. If you're sick, we'd love to pray with you. Anything at all, please come forward and let's pray. But let's, uh, let's worship together.
want to give you all the glory in every area of our life. Thank you for your encouragement, for your equipping, for your empowering word today, Lord. And let us be mindful, God, as we go through our week, that only you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, gets all the glory in Jesus' name.